In today's episode, we're doing a quick rundown on our favorite parenting tips and tricks. Hey everyone, welcome to the Papa y Fatigue podcast, the podcast for dads by dads. We're going to take a break from some of our heavier topics to talk about our favorite tips and tricks covering newborns, eating, school, and travel. But first, here's my deal. I'm Dave. I have an eight-year-old daughter and a five-year-old son. I'm Jim. I've got two daughters, five and eight. So Jim, let's just jump right into it. Let's start off maybe with some of the newborn tips and and maybe some of the tips for new parents. What do you got? Yeah, this is, I've been interested to do this episode because there's a lot of things that, that um, you know, aren't necessarily terribly unique or unknown. You know, a lot of these are pretty, but it's just nice to have them all kind of in the same place. Little mm-hmm. things that I didn't know. And then when I found out, they were like, they were totally obvious and things that I wouldn't mm-hmm. have maybe discovered my own. Um, there, uh, so a couple of things for the newborn parents, the Wubbanubs. Did you guys have those? I have, I have no idea what that is. See, there it is. <laughs> so the Wubbanubs are these, uh, they're like these tiny stuffed animals that have the, have the pacifier or the, whatever you call them, binky or the nipple mm-hmm. at the end. And they're great because they're, they're, uh, it's harder to lose them. Mm. The kids love them. You know, they've got like a cute little teddy bear or like a, you mm-hmm. know, they got any animal that you, that you could want and they're washable which is great. Mm. And then what we did is we, we cut the nipple off and then eventually, so they just had like a little stuffy, you know, a little oh, stuffy okay. attachment device. Mm-hmm. And they were very attached to these, to these Wubbanubs even before and after they had mm. the binky. So that was, every time I hear that somebody's expecting a kid, I'll send them a Wubbanub and just kind of get nice. them started on that. Cause I think uh, it's a great, it's a great way to start. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we probably had five or six of them and we didn't have to worry about losing them. And you know, the, the other thing about t- having this, the binkies that are by their, by themselves, they fall on the floor, they drop yeah, them. Yeah. Stuffed mm-hmm. animals just kind of land on their lap, so that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so try not to, I was one of those parents who was determined not to have just a mountain of stuff. I, <laughs> I saw my other friends do that and I thought, this is just ridiculous, why would you want to do all that? And yet somehow at one point we ended up with seven <laughs> strollers. And I, ah. <laughs> we, had, we had like the jogger stroller, the umbrella stroller, the double stroller, Wow. Another double stroller that we used for a nanny share, you know, the whatever it was. We, we ended up with way too many strollers. So <laughs> uh, that's one of my tips. Don't accumulate too many strollers. You know, we had eventually we got the, you know, we had the bob for the jogger. Mm-hmm. We had the double stroller and then we had a fold up stroller for travel. And that seemed to cover, cover all yeah. our needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the go bag or what I call the go bag, which is pretty much just the, the dad's diaper bag. And, yeah. you know, the, these are things that pretty obvious you think they're obvious and yet it took me a long time to get it dialed in you know <laughs> mm-hmm. and so I, I had a backpack uh, I still use it actually but I got a backpack I put in like a pack of band-aids mm-hmm. I had a bunch of snacks you know like fruit gummies and things like mm-hmm. that a water bottle you know hand wipes hand sanitizer and you know I mean everyone can figure out exactly what they need but just to put it all into that one pack mm-hmm. you know change of clothes I missed that several times and yes you know you had the the full-on smoothie smelled down the front or, you know, yeah. fall in the river or whatever and just didn't, you know, that's the kind of thing like, uh, I feel like, <laughs> like a, like a dad fail. You got your, you got your toddler walking around with soaking wet clothes and you're like, eh, all right, I just got to get him home, get changed. So anyhow, getting the go bag set up and get it kind of dialed in. That was important for me and it, it made everything a whole lot easier. You know, one of the first times when our daughter, she was probably... Uh, under a month old and so we were going back and forth to the lactation consultant and trying all you know all sorts of stuff and she had a blowout and we forgot to pack clothes extra clothes and so thankfully we're at the lactation consultant right so they have tons of diapers 
but we had to wrap her sort of in a uh-huh. blanket. <laughs> just, you know, little fat legs sticking out. Just and all we had was the blanket. And uh, let's see, when she was born, it probably wasn't too too cold outside, but it was probably that probably looked a little ghetto to me. You know, <laughs> walking your kid outside wrapped in a blanket, and uh, that was something that we certainly. You know, we would always look at each other like, oh, remember that time? Did you, yeah. did you pack the clothes, the extra clothes? So, yes, sometimes you learn what you have forgotten in your bag through yeah. uh, some stories. And that was one that, uh, yeah, we, we definitely, we packed our bag better. And and actually, you know, when our kids got older, I find there are some parents that are super organized. And it's not that we weren't organized, but we didn't always think things through. So when when... Especially our our oldest was probably two or three. We were always the family when we would go out that we would forget to bring snacks, right? And and, and mm-hmm. thankfully, all the other families bring you know you bring right. enough snacks for all the kids. But we're always the one that's like, oh, we we're the ones that forgot. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, we can't <laughs> offer anything to your child. Thank you. And yes, after uh, once or twice, we're like, okay, that. We got that dialed in. We, we didn't forget that after a while. but Because th- there's that transition, right? After yeah. when they sort of get out of the bottles and, and they're really sort of on their own running around and they can take solids and they do start to snack that you just sort of lose track. And I will say in our defense that one of the families in particular, you know, their, our, our daughter's friend was the younger of the two siblings, right? So they had already kind of gone through it. Yeah, it was right. their second. So they kind of, uh, they knew their way around and, and we were just sort of getting into it. But yeah, I mean, there's certainly things that you pick up from other parents and go, oh, yeah, that's mm-hmm, exactly. that's genius, or why did yeah. I think of that? Uh, you know, on my end for the the newborn, new parent stuff, we sort of talked about this. I can't remember what podcast, but don't stress the milestones. That, to me, feels like such the, the newbie parent thing. And, uh, you know, those, they're just guidelines. I, I was telling you, right, that so we just came back from camping and the people that we went camping with, they're seasoned campers, and this was our first time. And I'm constantly like, so how big is the bear box to put our food in? And, you know, will it fit all of our stuff? And, well, if we put it in the bear box, like, the bears can still smell the food, right? Like, that doesn't prevent yeah. them from coming down. And, you know, it's just like, there's a book that, that I, I read to my daughter. It's called Scaredy Squirrel. And it's basically the squirrel that lives in the tree, and he's scared of everything. Because he hasn't been exposed. And so he's got this, like, he's scared of, I think, killer bees and Martians and uh, sharks. And he lives in the tree. And so he's got this all these escape plans. And one day he accidentally falls out of the tree. And he plays dead. And then he realizes, you know what, it's not actually that scary out here, right? Once you get to, once you kind of experience it. And I think that is part of, like, for me, that was what camping was. Like, I was scaredy squirrel. But also, like, <laughs> right, as, as, as parents with a new child, right, you, you think that, your child's super fragile and they're not as somebody who has had a kid who's had a few bumps and bruises when she was growing up they're not nearly as fragile as you think and and those milestones are just that they're guidelines don't don't freak out if they're a little bit you know later than the than the milestones and everybody's everybody's mileage may vary as they say so yeah. it's just not that big of a deal i mean unless you start getting way behind then talk to your pediatrician and they'll let you know what's what's appropriate. So that's, I think, number one. As far as products that we talked about, I mean, for me, I know I know not everybody's child easily adapts to this, but the baby swing for us mm-hmm. was like mm-hmm. gold. I mean, we could yeah. stick her in that swing and the boy too. We could just pop them in the swing and that was it. We didn't have to do anything. And 
especially when they needed naps, sometimes it was easier to have them in the swing. You know, because there's that moment when you can get them to sleep, but then the minute you put them down, they wake up. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. You go through that phase. And so the swing was kind of a good place if we just needed a, a little rest here or there. And both our kids really love the swings. I know people that though also have swings and the kid just didn't take to them, but I would... I would absolutely try it because if your kid takes the swing, it's it's a godsend to have that little bit of, of time where the kid's sort of occupied and everybody can get a nap down. So I, I appreciate that one. The other piece of equipment, I, I was sort of obsessed with getting a bottle warmer for a little bit. Did you guys ever do the bottle warmer thing? Uh, maybe, probably. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it sounds familiar. I, don't, I right. really don't remember. It is one of those, like, do I... It feels like such a luxury. Like, I just have a dedicated device that's going to warm my bottle up. But I will say that when your child is crying at 3 in the morning, every minute you can save to get that milk warmed up. And so we actually didn't buy a bottle warmer. What we did was we ended up getting a hot water dispenser. And those also, you know, you can sort of fix the temperature. But that was just a little bit more versatile for us because then you just, you know, you can use it for pasta or for tea or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think that just having an easy way to dispense hot water to get that, you know, milk up. And, you know, also like at the time my wife, she was freezing breast milk, right? So now you've got this like hunk of ice that you got to melt down quickly, but it can't be too hot. And so I thought that, yeah, I mean, there were many a 3am, 4am kind of deals where I'm like, yeah, it's, it's totally worth it to save a minute here to have the bottle you know, have the hot water already going. Somebody did buy us a, a wipe warmer, which was, <laughs> you know, that's the kind yeah, of yeah. I'm not going to buy it for myself. And that seems, <laughs> that seems pretty extraneous, you know, it seems a little bit luxurious. But I mean, I guess it makes sense. You pull out these freezing cold wipes in the middle of the night, you know? So I don't yeah. know. I don't know if it made a difference or not, but that was definitely, definitely one of those things that I wouldn't have bought myself. Honestly, for a heartbeat, I was into that, and I, I told my wife, and she's like, "What are you nuts? Like, we, we don't need this. You know, we don't need that." She nixed that pretty quickly, and I'm I'm glad she did. Uh, but I mean, that's a good transition. So, you know, in terms of talking about the, the the sleep and everything, I firmly believe in trying to split up the night routine as much as possible, so at least everybody sort of shares in the pain. I don't know. I, I feel it, it sort of brings together the parent unit to suffer together. And that's what we did. So my deal was I would, when the baby cried, and I've said this on a few podcasts before too, is I've always, I was always nervous with our first one in particular that SIDS was always, SIDS was always yeah. on the cusp. So mm-hmm. when she like would swing an arm out and hit the, hit the bed, I, I would be up and like, she's, she's dying. You know, like there were many, many times that I would, wake up standing in front of the crib having no idea how I got there. Yeah. So as far as the first, I was a super, super light sleeper. And so, you know, uh, I think what you can do to help out if, if your wife is nursing, if you guys decide you want to nurse, is at least to get up, change the baby, or at least check that diaper, and then hand the child off. Mm-hmm. And luckily for me, I can get back to sleep pretty easily. So it wasn't, it wasn't too, too bad. But I think that sort of sharing that pain at least... It, it brings the two parents a little bit closer together so that nobody feels like they're getting shortchanged in, in some respects. And um, yeah. Uh, and then the, the last thing is I firmly believe that the most useful thing that anyone can give you as a new parent, certainly in that first month, is food. Food for yourself because there's going to be so, you're going to be so tired 
that you will eat cereal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner if you can get away with it. And so just having, you know, relatives or family, friends, whatever, cook you some food or bring you some leftovers or spring for a pizza every once in a while, that's going to make your life so much easier because also then you don't have to do all the dishes associated with cooking and all that stuff. That There's so little time when you have a kid at the beginning that the cooking and the cleaning around mealtimes is tough to, to sort of bang out. And so I, a lot of times when, when we have friends that have new kids, we'll get them like a gift card to Uber Eats or DoorDash or something like that. And, and I think probably at the time they're like, well, this is the weirdest, like, this is kind of an odd gift. Mm-hmm. I like, guarantee you when that kid comes, that's the most, it's, it's more useful than the 20th onesie that you've gotten from your friend. You're just not going to need all those onesies. With the gift card, I tried to do that for a friend recently, and I, I thought that, there, I mean, do I have to go to the store and, like, go to Safeway and get a gift card, or is there a way I can do, like, a, an e-coupon? Uh, yeah, the last time we do it, we just, uh, yeah, you can just do it digitally. I can't really, remember yeah. how we, yeah, it's been a while. I think we haven't had a friend who's had a kid yeah. in a little while, but, yeah, we, we used to just do it through the app, I think, was how we did it. Um, but, yeah, you can also go into, I think, uh, most drugstores have, you know, those kind of gift cards and stuff like that, but that's... Um, yeah, I think that's it's it's one of the most underrated yeah. gifts I think you can give anybody, and I do think it's it's highly appreciated. So that's maybe a nice transition to the eating section of our tips. What do you got over there, Jim? I got very little. You got a whole lot more than I'm looking forward to talking <laughs> about. The, uh, the is something that comes up just about every meal time. So I've got this thing that I make, and the girls call it pink sauce, and mm-hmm. it's basically mayonnaise and ketchup, a little bit of like vinegar, some, a little bit of garlic powder. It's basically like secret sauce, right? The kind mm-hmm. of secret sauce for the burger at the, mm-hmm. you know, at the corner store or whatever. And I swear, if I, they put that thing, put that stuff on anything, and they'll eat it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Broccoli, eggplant, anything. Yeah. So that's uh, it's. I don't, I don't want to call it a hack, but man, to get them to eat something, just put a little bit of sauce on there, and they just, just devour it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there certainly is something to the sort of presentation of food and, and whether the kids are into it or not. You know, one time we tried to make green eggs and ham because my daughter was curious. It didn't work out real well, but, but we, you know, used to add some food coloring. But, you know, what you say brings up something that I we do over here. The, the first time we made banana bread, so my, my son likes bananas and he likes bread, but the combination of the two together, he was like, <laughs> I don't know about that. And I think it was my wife who had the genius idea of calling it banana cake. And literally all of a sudden right. he was like, let's eat that. And so sometimes you just have to call something, you just give it a different name or you just make it look slightly different, right? Just like add a little bit of food color or something like that, and the kids are all into it. And yeah, as somebody who has a picky eater, we will change names for stuff like that. Uh, no problem. And and it, it does seem to go down easier. So uh, yeah, just a you know a ro- what is it a rose by any other name, right? <laughs> Go with that. Uh, but yeah, I mean in general, what I do for just breakfast is I'll make a full batch of baked goods, maybe on the weekend. Sometimes if it's pancakes or crepes, I can bang that out on a weekday. But I've realized that what at least for us what makes the most sense is even if they're only going to eat a quarter to half of the recipe. Now that it's all cooked out, I can simply freeze it and sort of over time give them stuff. So when I make a batch of um, when I make a batch of pancakes, I'll just make the whole thing at once, and then I'll keep some in the fridge for that week, and then I'll freeze the rest. And so a week, so he doesn't get sick of it, 
and I can still give them some variety, but there will be some days where I can just kind of pull that out or muffins. And what helps too is when they cook with me, I also like to have, in particular, the son cook with me because he's picky and I find that he, when he cooks, he's just more interested in, right? Hey, you made this. This is gonna, like, you should try what you made. And I feel like that opens him up a little bit more. Not quite as much as I would like, but it, it does open. So I, I would say, you know, bake with the little kids and the picky ones and then also freeze a bunch of stuff so you can kind of go back to that. One of the other things we did, and I've sort of talked about our struggles with our, our youngest, but he he's a picky eater. And, and there was certainly a time where he wasn't eating dinner a lot. And what I've realized is that we needed to reevaluate how much snacking he was doing and when he was snacking. And actually what we started to do is when he comes home from school, first of all, hey, if you're, so for a while when he was snacking, we would say, okay, first you have to eat your lunch. You have to finish any lunch before you can have a snack. And that worked. Uh, and then sort of now what I'm realizing is we sort of kind of cut out the snacks over the, the summer and he eats a lot better for dinner. And it was just one of those things where I was like, well, they, he snacks at school that he, you know, they, they're hungry all the time, but they don't, you know, they don't really need to be. In the summer, it wasn't like he was coming up to me saying, I'm hungry. And I was saying, no, you can't snack. Wait till dinner. Well, there were a few times, but then he goes, okay. And and then that's the end of that. And he eats so much better because of that. So I think that if your child's not eating, just kind of reevaluate all of the stuff that's happening in between. Because that's the other thing too, is when he's snacking, he's not. it's not nearly as healthy as what I'm serving for dinner. So it sort of does double negative duty and that he's not eating dinner and then the snacks are less healthy and then the last thing is that don't do what we did and we're still trying to work through this but early on i think i set the tone for turning meal times into the sort of restaurant oh you're you're not going to eat that what will you eat i can make this this or this don't give your kids a choice i think that's when you get into trouble and that's where we are where we sort of trained him that oh if you're if you don't like what i made don't eat it and I'll, I'll make you something else. And we're still trying to get on the same page um, as to sort of how strict to be because I think it, it can be difficult when you see your child not eating anything for dinner. But it, the way that I think about it is honestly, if he's hungry enough, he'll eat something. And what I now have recognized is instead of giving one thing, so here's a plate of pasta, and then if he doesn't eat that pasta, well now you know you still want to kind of give him something, but you shouldn't. So instead what I do is I'll try and put maybe four or five different things on the plate so that even if he doesn't end up eating the pasta, I know he's got fruit, I know he's got you know a, a veg or something. And so ultimately he will eat something. He might not eat as much as I want, but I at least know he's eating something versus saying, okay, you didn't eat the pasta, you don't get to eat anything now. And that's it's, it's sort of this all or nothing deal. And that seems to have worked out pretty well for us. So let's transition over to any nighttime routine tips and tricks that you might have. Yeah, here's a couple. So the, one of the things I learned early on uh, about toddlers, and particularly about toddlers, babies you don't really have to worry about, but toddlers, and then, and even now with my uh, my eight-year-old and my five-year-old, is uh, to dim the lights. Start to turn off the lights and dim the lights at least an hour before bedtime, maybe even two mm -hmm. hours before bedtime, and no screens you know, within uh, two hours of bedtime. And it's, I don't always remember, but usually it's like, all right, you know, let's think about, it's time to start getting ready for bed or it's bedtime. And that's that's where I'll start to dim the lights and turn mm. everything down and mm -hmm. and uh, just kind of make it ready for bedtime. And there's some physiological reasons about why that's important. And it's also just kind of sets the mood 
you know, they get the idea that the day is ending and it's time to time to go to sleep. Uh, so strongly recommend that. That's a great way to start the bedtime routine. The uh, the other thing that I mentioned the other day was the the Calm app um, mm-hmm. that both my wife and I have on our phones. I think it's I think it's like sixty bucks a year, which felt mm-hmm. pretty spendy. <laughs> when, when we first, I mean, I don't, you know, you're used, used to apps being like a dollar ninety nine, right, you know, right, six ninety nine or whatever. So, mm-hmm. sixty bucks felt like a lot, but we, we, <laughs> I think as my wife, she got it one of those nights where like we were just desperate you know, <laughs> uh-huh. for whatever it was, we couldn't get them to sleep, mm-hmm. and uh, and so she tried it out. She probably got a, a recommendation from somebody else. Anyhow, it's an app that has uh, sleep time stories, and it's also mm-hmm. got, it's, they've got specifically got a section for kids, kids mm-hmm. sleep stories. And, uh, you know, some of them are fairy tales. A lot of them are just original stories. The narrators speak of that nice sort of calm, mm. you know, monotonous, melodious <laughs> kind of, you know, and it's, it's, it's magic. It just puts them to sleep in, in no time at all. There's also some stuff for grownups that, and like meditations and, and um, stuff that, uh, that adults can use to listen to, mm. to go to sleep. But that's been, uh, that's been huge. And usually we put it on. Uh, just about every night, you know, we'll read a book or something and be time to time to wrap things up and go to sleep and we'll put it on. And it's usually one that they've listened to a thousand times. So <laughs> they just drone out and, and uh, crash out in just a good matter of minutes. I was reading this article, this was a couple years ago. There are these guys that started a podcast where all they do is they read the name of Ikea products in a very monotonous way and so people use it to go to go to sleep like that's that's what they're doing they're just reading a bunch of ikea stuff we we all love ikea uh for for me for um nighttime routine stuff i I have i guess one for the younger kids and one for the older ones when we started to train our children to sleep on their own you know i don't i don't know how you guys were sleep training and my wife actually for the at the beginning when my kids were young she would she would sleep with the kids or at least get in a bed with them. And then when they would fall asleep, she would, you know, wake up and come out. And I was like, look, they, at some point they gotta, they gotta do this on their own. Cause it's just, it's disrupting everything to have to sit in bed with them while they sleep. Uh, Cause we actually do a lot of work at night. And so what I realized is what we started to do was, or what I started to do, cause I was the one that was pushing for the sleep training was to first, you know, you read the book and then you just, kind of sit next to them in bed and then they go to sleep and then you do that for a week or two and then you move a little bit further away from them and then you just sort of every week you keep moving a little bit further physically away from them until eventually you're outside of the room and you know it just over time it gets them I think it gets used to them being on their own but also they know that even though they can't see you that they're still there because at some point you're probably going to be out of their visual range. And then like, I mean, towards the end, I was literally in the hallway, but she knew that if she needed something that I would be there. And then over time you just, okay, you're, you know, you're ready to go on your own. And that sort of just physical movement, just little by little wean them off. I think that was pretty effective to, uh, to sort of get them used to that. And then I have an older kids tip, which is I, really like to use books as ways to start conversations about you know reinforcing good habits or you know any other lessons that you'd like to impart so when i look for books at the library there's always a reason that i'm checking a book out it's very rarely am i like oh let's just randomly draw books um from the library i also like them to be able to do that but when i'm help sort of picking the books there there is a reason 
for every book that I choose. And, and what I'm doing now at this point with the eight-year-old is I will tell her, okay, wh why did I pick this book for you? And so it also gets her to pay attention. And I've actually started to do this. We just came back from a, like I said, from the camping trip and it was a seven hours. So we even, I even did this for a bunch of podcasts. I, there were two podcasts that we listened to and I'm like, there is a, a common thread between these two podcasts. Tell me what it is and tell me why I want you to learn that lesson. And so, you know, sometimes these conversations are difficult to start and you kind of don't know where to start them. And I think that a book can sort of introduce that. And it also gives you something to engage with your child about rather than just kind of out of nowhere coming up with a topic. It, it gives you that excuse. It's the same way like you go to a movie, you can talk about it on your way out the door. So I really enjoy that. And uh, also that, you know, that, that bedtime, it, I think it just sort of, it all flows together, right? To have the book and then it sort of have a quickly converse, have that quick conversation about it and then you know, off to bed and off to the next thing. So the next group of topics we have here, our next group of tips are gonna be about school. What kind of tips you got on, on school, Jim? So tell me about your day. What <laughs> what happened at school today? I get nothing. I get nothing. Right, nothing. I don't know. And so the a couple of things. First I early on I started uh, modeling that for my for my kids. When we were driving back from school, I'd be like, all right, so you know, I dropped you off at school and then I, you know, I went to work and I had lunch with a friend and I'd kind of walk them through my day and just kind of model what that was mm. and just telling somebody about what was going on. I don't know that it took, but at least it was, at least it was an, an effort to try to get them to understand that that's kind of what I was asking about. Mm -hmm. uh, two things that I've started using more recently are uh, to ask specific questions, very mm -hmm. things like, and these are my go-tos, like, did anybody get in trouble today? Mm. Did anyone make any bad decisions? What was the funniest thing that happened today? Some, it kind of like gossipy things or very specific mm -hmm. things, and usually mm -hmm. it gets them to, to talk about something. You know, did anyone get in trouble today? No, did you get in trouble today? You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, uh, it's something that starts a conversation. And then the, uh, for my younger one, who's now in kindergarten, we've been playing two truths and a lie about mm -hmm. their day. So tell me, mm -hmm. you know, two things that happened today and that oh, were true and one thing that's a lie. And they, you know, they giggle and play the game and it's fun. And then I get to find out something that they, that they did at school mm -hmm. that day. Uh, so it's, I like to know that. And the, you know, we're, we've recently started a new school. There's a lot of transparency, a lot of communication with the teachers, which is great. But in other situations in daycare or our prior school, it kind of, in some ways it kind of felt like a black box where mm -hmm. they're just, you know, I didn't know what was going on. Uh, mm -hmm. a lot of the time during the day so it's nice to have that nice to have a way for them to kind of report to me what their school day was like mm -hmm. uh, being proactive with play dates you know there was it took me a while to figure out that that was really important and it's just the one-on-one -on -one socialization is helpful you know having a relationship with one of the classmates outside of the classroom or having that connection outside of the classroom I think really helps bolster that uh, that social development and probably helps them make uh, feel more comfortable in the playground uh, and so we we've tried to do that. We try to get in touch with other parents and you know offer to do the playdates, go to a park, or have them over to the house. Uh, and it's you know and it's fun, and I think it's really really positive. Well, and you know we just got done with the sleepover podcast, and we were talking about how we would really want to know the parent before we had our child sleep yeah. over there. And I think this is right. This is ultimately what that's leading up to is exactly. if you have the playdates at kindergarten. Well, you feel pretty comfortable when second grade rolls around. You've known these parents for a couple of years. Yeah, you want to go sleep over, knock yourself out. Like, right. you know, we, we know those parents well. So I think, yeah, it, it does lay the foundation for the future socialization as these kids get older. So, yeah, I, yeah, I like that one. 
Yeah, what I have, I always like to volunteer for the first activity or field trip of the year if that's something that is available in your school. It's, I always find it very interesting, especially when they're young. You see how they're adjusting to the school. You know, also where we are at, they constantly they're changing the classes. And I remember a couple years ago, I think I guess it was first grade. I looked at the class list and I'm like, I don't even know 80% of these kids. And you know, we had been at the school there at that point for three years. Like I was shocked that I didn't know any of these kids. And so I was a little bit concerned for her at a social level. And when I went out to the first field trip, I could see sort of which kids interact with who and how they interact with each other. And also just to kind of check in on how my daughter was doing and who she, you know, to make sure that she had a group to be with. And, you know, what I did see is there was a huge group there, basically one massive group of girls because uh, they had been together for a few years somehow. And then my daughter and a couple of the girls, which is fine. She doesn't need to be in this big clique. I don't care. As long as she's got a friend or a couple of friends, that's all I care about. And so you're able to see that and how the kids interact. And also, it's always very interesting to see your child in the school environment because they're they're just different, you know, because they know that you're, I mean, you're there, so they know you're there. And, and so the, it's going to be a little bit different even then. But to see them interacting with their teachers and with their classmates, it, it's it's sort of a window into you know the rest of their day and, and one that we are not privy to most of the time. So I really highly recommend that if that is something that you can do. The other thing is that I remember when our daughter started school, pre-K three, you're just so nervous about like, how's she doing? You have so many questions and thinking, man, parent-teacher conference isn't until November. Like that seems like a long time. That's three months away. And you don't have to wait until parent-teacher conference to find out how your child's doing. I, I think in my head, I was like, well, that's the checkpoint. But there's no reason you can't just reach out to your teacher after a week or two weeks, especially these days where there's just kids are just going into school with a lot more stress. Just check in. It's okay. You don't have to wait for some formal invitation from the teacher and the, you know, this is how we're going to do it. You have to wait till parent-teacher conference. It's not how the, I think most teachers work. And I, I, my, my guess is that most teachers are more than happy to talk to you anytime uh, within reason about how your child's doing. And that, and that leads me to another tip, I guess, is that don't forget to leverage any resources that your school has where we are. I believe it's a state um, requirement that, that we have SEL teachers, which is what social emotional learning. And in the past, when my daughter was having challenges, I would reach out to the SEL teacher to say, how should I think about this? Or what can we do to improve X or reduce Y? So there, you know, besides your primary teacher there may be other resources that you can leverage and just don't forget those because sometimes not everybody knows that and that's actually something that i would tell other parents at school when they were telling me oh yeah my kid this I'm like did you you know you can talk to the scl teacher she's great and they're like oh i didn't think about that and then the last one is actually very similar to you in terms of the play dates is i always like to reach out to new families when they come in because i think it, it's helpful for both my child to be like hey you know, when this kid comes, this is a new kid, you know, you help show them around, introduce them to your friends. So I think it gives my child a sense of responsibility and also trying to say like, hey, you know, this when this kid comes to school, they're not going to know anybody. You've known these kids already for four years. Make sure that you play with them. And, and when I hear about new kids coming to school, I'll ask her, hey, you know, did you have a chance to interact with X or Y and how are they doing? And do they seem to have friends? Are you 
asking them to play with you. And so to reach out to new families, I think they appreciate that, but also again, it, it just gives your child a way to have some ownership and then also to just widen their circle beyond you know the people that they've known for the last whatever two or three years it just i think gives them uh, an opportunity to have uh, a pretty diverse set of friends and so i i we're actually looking to do something some of that stuff in the next couple of weeks here since we've just started school as well so the last big group of Topics. Oh no, we have two more. Uh, here we're going to talk about travel tips. Yeah, you again. You've got more than I do, uh, and a lot of these things that we've talked about before. I think we did. We did do one on traveling. I think uh, specifically about airplanes, and so just that you know another tip that that we learned from my my brother-in-law who is a flight attendant, which is to bring a gift for the flight. If you got the crying kid, if you think your baby's <laughs> going to be, if you got the screaming kid on the on the plane bring a gift for the flight attendants and it doesn't have to be anything serious. It's really more like a gesture, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we would buy, um, like a bag of the, like the Ghirardelli's chocolates, the, mm-hmm. you know, the ones with the, the single serving size, single yeah, serving. Yeah. 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 Like the Halloween whole, style. Yeah. So the whole bag of those, we'd bring it to the head flight attendant and be like, look, you know, we're new parents. We're flying with a kid. Mm-hmm. Really sorry about this. And you get the whole, just from the gesture, you get the whole team on your side. Mm-hmm. And so when there's the lady behind you who's, complaining to the flight attendant the flight attendant's like hey knock it off <laughs> these are <laughs> new parents give them a break so it's yeah. nice to have, it, it makes me feel less less self-conscious it makes me feel like um, you know there's somebody else that understands that because they see it all the time of course you know yeah. and so that's a good tip and then um, getting a stroller at Disneyland and this is something my wife came up with I think it was she probably found it through Facebook or something like that but there are people who will uh, who will rent their strollers to you and mm-hmm. so we we ended up getting a double a double bob that mm-hmm. we so we didn't have to travel down because both the kids were small enough that they were gonna have to be carted around at least a little bit of the day and uh it was great she met us at the front gate you know handed it off we kept it yeah. for three days and then she mm-hmm. came and picked it up and mm-hmm. it was totally reasonably priced and uh, it couldn't have been more convenient and we didn't have to travel with a huge stroller like that mm-hmm. so that one was solid gold at least for that trip I think when we went to Disneyland, one of the things I was reading to somebody said something to the effect of like uh, buy a balloon so your stroller is easier to identify because mm-hmm. right there's just lines of strollers and especially if you have a popular stroller, just figuring out which which one is your stroller. And I remember that when we were at Disneyland, I I guess I I quote illegally parked my stroller because when I came back it was gone, yeah. <laughs> and it took me like ten minutes to figure somebody had moved the whole group of strollers. And it took me like 10 minutes to find my stroller, which had I had a balloon floating above would have made my life so much easier, right? Because it's going to be within a a certain radius because it was clear that I had illegally parked my stroller unknowingly because all of them were gone when I came back. But uh, I thought that was an interesting tip. Yeah, I so we we travel a decent amount, travel uh, oftentimes to Asia. And so, yeah, we've we uh, have have gotten some hard won lessons. The first thing is we actually before we went to Asia, so our daughter, I guess it must have been eight months the first time we took her to Asia, and we were a little bit nervous about that. I know other people that take their kid after like just a couple of months. Uh, but we took a test flight. So we just went, I think four, we just jumped on a plane. Uh, I think our very first one was only 45 minutes away. And so it was just to kind of go through the process of like, how, you know, do I put the stroller through the x-ray machine? And then... We're, you know, all the things that once you're a parent, you know what the process is. But the first time, like, 
who do I give the stroll? Can I take it on the plane? Who do I give it to? Do I give it to the flight attendant? Do I go down the jet bridge? You know, just all of the little things that you don't want to be stressing out about when you've got like a big trip coming up. So just kind of a real quick trip to sort of test out the process. And we actually, she jumped on that plane and, and she fell, she fell asleep. And so we were relieved. We're like, well, okay, this, this seems to bode pretty well. And it put us at ease for when we did kind of do the first real big trip. Um, when we traveled and the kids were in diapers, what we would do to save luggage space was just buy our diapers locally. And the main thing that you need to know is your child's weight in kilograms, because most places are going to use kilograms, but it's a pretty simple conversion. But uh, knowing that is going to make your life easier, because otherwise, it, you know, it's going to be nervous. You don't want to buy the wrong diapers. If you're going to uh, a country where there's not a ton of space, like most of Asia, I find it's totally worth it to buy the GB Pocket. I think that was the stroller that we talked about that you also had. That's the one that apparently has the world record for smallest stroller once it you can fold it up. And what you can fold it up and fit it underneath the airplane seat. So it's super, super compact. And the other advantage to that is when you're traveling internationally, you know, if you check your stroller at the jet bridge okay that's great everybody gets out of the plane now you're waiting for them to go retrieve your stroller meanwhile the line at immigration or customs is building and you are now behind all of those people because you're waiting for your stroller and we did that a few times where i just i see all this whole line of people going in front of me and i'm like man now we we probably lost you know 30 minutes because we're just waiting for our stroller to come out here and so being in control of your stroller is huge if you're traveling international. I always, when we travel, even domestically, I always assume the flight entertainment, the in-flight entertainment is not gonna work. Uh, I have actually seen that happen and there was a family next to me where the kids were going bonkers because they, whatever happened, like the kids were clearly not prepared. They had no backup. And so they were just kind of, it was wild for the whatever six hours that we're on the plane. So don't be those. I mean, that's the opposite of what you do, right? When you give the little gift to the flight attendants. <laughs> don't be that parent that didn't plan ahead, I think. Uh, other things for me, don't forget local libraries to get audiobooks and download it in advance. You know, we just, again, like I said, we, did, we took our car trip. And while I had planned for the kids to do something in the car we actually haven't taken a lot of road trips and i forget that my daughter gets car sick so there were a fair number of things that like she can't color she obviously can't read i got like tanagrams she can't she can't do that either she gets sick and so i was glad because this was a seven hour trip i was super glad that i had five or six audiobooks that were downloaded and ready to roll that we could just kind of pull out and that absolutely kept her dialed in for the seven hours which was great and, and because I got them through the library, I didn't have to buy anything. And Audible has the same thing. There's a sort of a, I think the base Audible subscription that we're on gives you access to a bunch of just free audiobooks for kids. A uh, couple other things here, just to wrap up the travel section. If you're in a foreign country, and I think especially one where you don't speak the language, I like to get an ID bracelet in case you get separated from your child. And we do have that whole episode on what happens if you do get separated from your child. But especially my kids, when we go to Asia, if we're going to a place where we don't speak the language, you know, if the five-year-old gets separated, I don't want him to not only be separated, but then on top of it, no one can communicate with them. They have no way to 
figure out, you know, is this like, what language does this kid even speak? So I think it just makes life a little bit easier to just have a little bit of planning in advance. And then the last thing combines a few different tips for picky eaters, especially when they're traveling abroad, is to not forget local convenience stores and supermarkets are fun places to get local snacks, but also can be a great source of food for picky eaters. The last time we were in Japan, we'd go to a restaurant, he wouldn't eat anything. And so we'd have to go to the 7-Eleven or the, the family mart to get him you know, a little rice ball, which he was more than happy to eat. But you know, you're just going to get those every single time. But it's, it's uh, an easy way to just get something in him if he's picky. So I think the last thing is we've got a few uh, just random tips and tricks that you've got. Yeah, things that don't really fit in the other categories. But, you know, again, a lot of these things for, for me were things that I wouldn't have known or, or picked up from other parents. And once I figured mm-hmm. it out, it's like, wow, that's, you know, that's great. That's a game changer. So one of the a couple of things that come to mind are the portable porta potty. We were we were you and I were, were out with another parent who had a sort of pop up tent that mm-hmm. folded up into a really small little little compartment and uh, and then a you know like a like a, a kid's a kid's potty with mm-hmm. uh, I think there's probably a plastic bag in there or whatever so yeah. mm-hmm. you know the kid had to go to the bathroom it's covid time none of the public restrooms are open pop up the tent put the porta potty in there it's no problem so i was mm-hmm. impressed with that um, the uh, there's another parent in our neighborhood that i got this trick from where he took the the crank crankshaft i guess he called it the crankshaft he took the crank and the pedals off of the bike and mm-hmm. so it was a regular, you know, uh, not toddler, it was a regular like kid's bike that, right. mm-hmm. uh, that suddenly turned into a scoot bike. And so then the, mm-hmm. the girl could, could could keep her weight on the bike and then, you know, pedal with her legs or push with her legs. And once she got the balance, then they put the pedals mm-hmm. on so they could. They could so anyway, just converting the real bike into a scoot bike uh, yeah. mm-hmm. and then putting the pedals on it so that uh, once they learn how to how to keep their balance. Some things about birthdays. We had um, we've got a rule. We've haven't really enforced it lately, but we had a rule anyway that uh, that the kids had to write a thank you note before they got to play with that toy. And that was, oh, nice. mm-hmm. I mean, we embarrassingly we've had some like thank you notes go out like two months after the birthday. You know, uh-huh. it's just sometimes it's just really hard to get. So anyhow, to have that motivation, you know, mm-hmm. you got to write the thank you note before you get to open and play with the toy. That's kind of gets mm-hmm. things like done. That. And then, uh, and then buying birthday presents. I, I can't tell you how many times we'd wake up on a Saturday morning, my <laughs> wife and I, and you know, we got a party at 11, but the stores mm-hmm. don't open until 10. Did you get a present? No, I didn't get one. <laughs> you know, do we have any wrapping paper? We ended up just swinging by the store and getting something and putting it in a, you know, one of those gift bags. And mm-hmm. it felt, felt pretty, pretty cheap. So, uh, so I got smart and just I'd go to the toy store at the beginning of the school year mm-hmm. and buy like 10 or 12 of the same present and just mm-hmm. get, you know, I think the last one we, you know, with COVID, we haven't had a lot of birthday presents, but I think the last yeah. one we did was uh, lava lamps, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kind of a gender yeah, neutral thing, right? you know, yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, get them all wrapped ahead of time because the, you know, the store will do that for you. So you sit there, <laughs> sit there for 45 minutes, <laughs> get, get 12 lava lamps wrapped and then that's it. And you know, they're in the closet yeah, time for birthday, done. boom, just pull it out of the nice. closet and you're ready to go. So I like it. Uh, I have a feeling that we're going to be back into birthdays pretty soon. So that might be might be something i'm doing again yeah it does feel that way i like the yeah i like the balance bike thing we so when our daughter was learning to ride she learned on a balance bike and to see how quickly they can go from a balance bike to transition to a full-on pedal bike 
it, it, I mean, for us, it was, we, we, so we bought her pedal bike during COVID, right? And of course, this was the time when you couldn't find a bike anywhere because everyone was out learning riding a bike. So we got it from a, you know, we got a used bike, but we got it. And within five minutes, she had gone from a balance bike to full on pedaling on a pedal bike. And I, I, I think it was a few months later, we were down in a park and we saw this kid who must have been, I don't know, nine or 10, who was learning to ride a bike. And you could just see he was frustrated with it because he didn't have training wheels. Or he was just going from zero to 60, right? Just like straight on to a pedal bike, which is tough if you're trying to figure all this stuff out at once. So I think, yeah, actually just the general tip is start with a balance bike, whether it's the one that you just, a regular bike that you've taken the pedals off or whether you just buy a dedicated balance bike. But the transition to a pedal bike is so seamless. It's going to make everybody's life easier when when your child's ready to do that. Yeah, the training wheels never made sense to me because it's the learning how to pedal is not the, is, that's not the right. That's not the essential part of learning how to ride a bike. And and even with the, you know, if they get the pedals, the uh, training wheels off just a little bit so that the bike leans a little, but that's not it. Mm-hmm. You learn to learn the bike. You got to learn how to lean into the corners, lean into the right. into the turns. And the the training wheels just take that off of it. So, uh, the balance bikes, we've we started with some that were really early, and the the girls never really took to them. But then when we got the the full size bikes and we took the pedals off, they really took to that. Well, we hope you found today's episode informative. If you'd like to support the podcast and hear more discussions around fatherhood, please subscribe and drop us a review. If you have any questions, hit us up on the Facebook page, facebook.com/slash papayfatigue. That's P-A-P-A-E-S-T-F-A-T-I-G-U-E. Thanks for listening.